Welcome to today's Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Today is a redo podcast, we'll call it. Uh, yesterday, we had a chance to sit down with Johnny Francisco up in Hermantown, Minnesota. Johnny's got a storied hockey career, and now he's getting into the hockey development side of the business. Uh, as a, as a, a second job, his primary job as a firefighter, we'll get in and talk about his firefighting and what that, how has affected by the COVID virus and many, many other topics. Uh, yesterday, we did the show, and there were a couple technical errors there I will have to take 100% responsibility for. Hopefully we can get it right today and hopefully you enjoy the show. Love is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire How fitting is that? We have Ring of Fire as our lead-in song for the show And we have Superior Wisconsin fireman Johnny Francisco How you doing, Johnny? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on it again. You know, I thought today's show was going to suck, you know, and just right there, I knocked it out of the park. I knocked out a little fire and firemen. I think we're going to knock. I think this show is going to be better than yesterday. What do you think? You just got to learn to roll with it. So it's, uh, you're teaching me that right now. So let's do it. It's all about attitude and effort, right? So if we have a good attitude today and put out some good effort, we're going to put out a better show than that crappy show we did yesterday, right? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. All right, let's talk a little firefighting um, before we get into hockey and hockey development and all the great things that you're doing online and, and going to be doing here in the in, in your hockey business. Um, you're a firefighter. Um, you started in California. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But today's firefighting has got to be a lot different than February 1st firefighting. Walk through what it what it looks like in the COVID-19 era. Uh, it's definitely changed. Um, I guess the biggest thing right now for us, as far as a department, uh, we changed our schedule. Uh, so my schedule now is I work five continuous days on, uh, 24 hours at the station. And and it used to be like two on one off or one on two off or something like that, right? Yeah. It used to be one on two off, uh, 24 hour shifts. And we spend the night at the the station and whatnot, but now it's, um, kind of to help the quarantine and self-quarantine part of it all uh it's over a 15-day plan really so we get five days on working in a row we're gone from home stay at the station stay with your crews and then we're off for 10 days and then just keep repeating that cycle until uh, we hear otherwise with the with the plans here five days in a row is that a grind uh, it can be, it definitely can be, especially living with the same people, you know, it's like living at home, you know, with your family, you right. spend the same, same amount of time and it's, and it's in, uh, it's in a house and we have our own rooms and whatnot, but we still have a job to do and people to see and 911 calls to, to run. And those have obviously changed as well too, as far as our protocols and whatnot. And people, when they call 911 now, they get um, a little bit deeper of a screening, I would say, right. as far as right. questioning from our dispatchers. And like, are we going to you know, go out here and risk our lives literally uh, if it's the cat in the tree, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, is it a cat in the tree or is it uh, a medical call? Is it a fire? You know, you, you just don't know half the time, but when it is a medical, the things have changed for us are 
Um, we go on scene and, and we know kind of what we're walking into as a person traveled at all. Are they presenting symptoms already of the COVID-19? Um, and if that's the case, then we get fully geared up into, you know, full gown and masks and goggles and gloves and the whole bit. And uh, if people are able to, we ask them to come outside of their house so we don't have to go in and expose. Um, we limit the amount of people that go in or they want people that make contact with it. So instead of us having maybe three people go help a patient, it might be one or two people right. depending upon the call or the nature of the call. And um, after everything's said and done, a lot of our stuff will get put into a, a bag outside of the rig and before we yep. get back into our rig. So we don't bring it back to the station or bring it back into the rig or ultimately bring it back to our families when we come back home. Right. Right. So, now, talk about family. This is interesting. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. The It is a family when you're living there. You're basically staying in a four-bedroom house with four separate bedrooms. But it's this is a family. Talk about the, the, the brothers and sisters you work with each day. Um, you know what? It, it's, uh, it's a great, great group of people within the fire service as a whole. I think that um, there's that understanding when you get into it that you're there for a, a higher purpose, not just for yourself, but for others. And I think that, you know, the, that's the type of character and the type of people that, that uh, are hired in the fire service. And, um, you know, we're cleaning surfaces constantly and picking up after ourselves. And that was kind of always been done. It's just kind of amplified a little bit more now with, everything that's going on. And so we, like I said, every call we wash our hands and clean our, clean the surfaces that we constantly touch, whether it's door handles or, you know, simple stuff like the refrigerator doors or the, you know, the sink handles and, you know, all those things that you don't really think about, those are getting a little bit more um, attention. attention. Yeah. yeah. Same with at our office. So we only have two here at the office now, but we're wiping everything down. And, and I even see the cleaning crew here at our office building is I've never seen this in my life where they literally, they wipe down every doorknob of every spot in the building every night. <laughs> we kind of joke around that we're kind of like the uh, those characters from characters from Monsters Inc. that come in and just kind of clean everything up. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie or yes, not. Yeah, yes, kind of feel yes. like that every now and then where we're going in and cleaning everything. But it's um, you know it's part of the job, so we understand that we recognize it, and uh, very fortunate to have the families at home that we have too that to be able to understand that we're gone for five days and then they're uh, they're at risk when we come back home again every A single time. Yeah. It's not just yeah, it's not just us. It's doctors and nurses and dentists and you know that whole. That whole field now is, um, you know, there's they're getting a little bit more attention where I, th I think, you know, it's due for them, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to your family in a second. I just did a little sidebar here. My wife works at a preschool, and luckily, you know, she gets to keep her job somewhat luckily or unluckily. Um, they had, out of her 18 kids in her class, eight of them, uh, have, our parents are either nurses or doctors or work in the, in the medical industry. So her preschool is allowed to maintain, to be open. And she gets to take care of these eight kids with the, with the, uh, with the, uh, the, that background. Yeah, it's very important. And that's, um, you know, to have your wife have, you know, be in that business or to be able to support that their kids families. going somewhere so they can still do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's kind of fun to see and it's kind of neat to see how society is kind of, bonding back together again with everything that's going on and, and, and helping each other. And it's, it's important. 
Before we get to your hockey family, let's talk about your immediate family, uh, a son and daughter and wife, Bridget. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about those guys and, and what you come home to after five days working at the uh, firehouse. <laughs> um, I generally screw whatever is happening at home up. Um, my wife just does a great job with the kids and kids are a little bit older now, so they're not, uh, you know, the young running around, but uh, son, AJ, who's 12 and daughter, Natalie, who's 14 and my wife, um, you know, from Hermantown as well, too. So, um, you know, they've been pretty used to me traveling a lot in my whole life. And since we've been married, that's kind of been our life. And so, you know, whether I'm leaving on a hockey road trip when I was playing for three, four five days or uh, in the fire service. And when I was working out west, I would get sent out on the wildfires as well, too, when I was out there. So I'd be gone from anywhere to, you know, two to, you know, 17, 18 days gone. So um, very independent independent woman and family and like i said i feel like i just come home and screw things up when i get home. i'm That's- sure you do now i, I think <laughs> i think if i recall correctly bridget's got a pretty good job where she works from home correct yep does yeah, that get thrown from- off by having two kids around all the time and now having to do some distance learning um you know what she's had it for gosh nine ten years now so yep. it's been you know the kids grew up um, understanding that mom works from home and it's, it was a learning process to begin with because mom would be sitting in the other room and doing homework and, and the kids don't, wouldn't understand because they're so young. They're like, mom's right in that room. Can I go talk to her or ask her for help? And, you know, she couldn't, um, but, um, you know, we've been very blessed and very fortunate that she's had her job and allowed us to kind of live the lifestyle and travel the way we've been. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've all learned to adjust. So. All right, so AJ plays hockey. Your daughter, Natalie, does not play hockey. Um, I got a great story about her, and uh, AJ's team won the show last year. And usually 14-year-old sisters aren't too excited about having to go watch her little brother play hockey. But when they won the tournament, she gave him a big, huge hug like she was proud of him. And I thought it was, what? wow, this Johnny Francisco has really done a nice job, not with just AJ, but his, other, his daughter and his wife. And it's just like we are talking to the all-American boy here, Johnny aren't you <laughs> you know we're pretty proud of our kids and uh <laughs> but it's uh it was exciting to see yeah natalie support her brother like that and and um you know just the endeavors that they go through you know their kids and their family and we, we've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time together as family because we've been gone a lot and so the only support system is is just us you know when we're you know around the country or living in california or pennsylvania wherever we were at the time and, and um, you know you learn to lean on each other and it's um, you know pretty proud of uh pretty proud of our family so yeah i knew i promised i'd embarrass you at least once i got Thanks. one or i got one or two more coming and you're prepared <laughs> for them now so you're gonna get me back you weren't prepared for that one were you uh, you know me i don't really like talking about myself so. i know we're, well, well that's why this is gonna be a really short call um <laughs> all right here we go let's talk about your the francisco hockey family uh uh your th- your three uncles Right or two uncles, um, yes. one played at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Your dad played two years there. Rick played there, and then uh, your other uncle has a, a son, which would be your cousin, who won a national championship. Let's walk through some of the gr- the broader Francisco family because it's kind of a neat story uh, about what their commitment uh, and their their hockey ability, as well as their commitment back to hockey, as well. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I grew up in a, obviously a hockey family that kind of everybody played. I had them, 
my grandfather uh, played on one of the uh, kind of the first UMD teams way back when. And then uh, I had an uncle that played there with Huffer Christensen. Um, great players and, and uh, they did well there. And um, obviously some cousins that played some division one hockey as well. I had a cousin that played um, at Wisconsin and won a national championship there. That was Jason, a, right? That was Jason Francisco. And then uh, Angie Francisco, uh, another cousin played uh, hockey at Harvard for the women's where did, team. Where there. did Jason and, and, and Angie go to high school? Were they Denfeld kids or? Uh, Denfeld and East. So Jason was at Denfeld and Angie was at East. East. And, uh, okay. Yep. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, I'm the, I'm the one person in the family or the one cousin in the family that didn't win a national championship. So go figure. The lonesome loser, right? Story <laughs> <laughs> right. <Enjoy> of my life. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk before we talk about your dad, Rick and his involvement at Hermantown hockey, your, your uncle Pat had a, a lot to do with the building, the heritage and my understanding of the history of the heritage, there was a rink and I don't remember the name of it. I want to say it was like Peterson or something like that it blew up. A, a, a Zamboni blew up, started a fire, and Lily burned down a rink. And, and Duluth Hockey was looking to rebuild, to replace that sheet of indoor ice. It began its own project of sorts, and it was the Heritage Arena. They built two rinks there. And if anyone who's been to Duluth, you pretty much can't miss it. It's a it's a fabulous um, hist. It's almost like a museum. It's a banquet center. It's just about everything you could ever ask for in an arena setup. And his involvement was huge. You want to elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, yeah, he was kind of one of the you know the big head, I guess, spearheaders of the of the whole project. And he did a lot of work. Uh, my uncle Pat did and. Um, anybody that's, like you said, anybody that's been up here, seen it, it's a, it's a beautiful facility with two rinks and, uh, attached to it as a, you know, a restaurant and the old Clyde iron building as well too. So it kept a lot of its history and it's a banquet center there and the rinks, you know, have murals up around it of, of all the old players and people involved with the Duluth hockey association and, um, you know, jerseys hanging and players that were that had played there there's pictures up and gone on to play and it's it's really quite the facility and it's it's um you know my uncle had a lot to do with it i know he spent a ton of hours doing it and labor of love type thing and i think he did a great job with it it's interesting that even a guy from hermantown who probably doesn't like the duluth schools has to even walks into that place and goes this is darn neat to see all the different uh just the history lesson alone, much less the sight lines and the ice and the facility. The games played there are fantastic because it's just a, a beautiful place to play. It really is. It really is. They've done a great job with it, and they do a great job with it still, you know, on the cleanliness of it and the organization of it. And the fact that they were able to use it uh, for other things as well, take the ice out and put turf in and play yep. soccer and that kind of stuff. Those are uh, important things for you know, not just hockey, but the whole sporting community as, as a whole. And I think that's, uh, you know, as big as hockey is up here and in Minnesota, I think uh, those other sports are just as important. The one neat thing I like about Heritage is where it is. You know, it's down in Lower Town, you know. So, like, a kid from East, that's that's a jaunt to get to the Heritage from where East High School is. You know, it's it's not easy to get to. It's, it's basically, and I'm, I'm going to forget, I did some interviews there. I did something there, and all these East kids were at the Quick Trip that's right down the street from, from the Heritage. And I'm like, is this very close to your house? And they're like, heck no, it's like 20 minutes from where, we, from where I live. <laughs> so it's basically, it's bringing, you know, new business, new people new footprint to the city that probably wasn't there for quite some time 
Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, it's in the West Duluth area there and right off uh, Highway 35. So it's easy access for people coming up from the cities and from other places around. And, and I think it's uh, it was placed in a, in a great spot and it kind of rejuvenated that area down there, too. And, yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's a beautiful place now. It's a good facility and it still continues to grow. So your dad, and we talked a little bit, he played a couple of years at UMD hockey, but played four years baseball there and uh, started to raise a family in, in you know, in um, what would it be, Saginaw would have been where you, you, you were originally growing up and then moved to Hermantown? Yeah, yeah. I was born in, uh, in a little town uh, called Saginaw, which is right uh, right next to Hermantown. And uh, my grandfather had some land there and gave the, the land to his daughters and they built houses and um, when I was in first grade or so, we moved to Hermantown. And so was that to I don't get closer to the city or what, what was the reason to move in Hermantown? Um, I think it was more or less the school system at the time, Okay, uh, to be honest with you, because Proctor, uh, we would have been in the Proctor school district and it would have, you really, you literally would have traveled from our house in Saginaw through Hermantown to get to Proctor. Proctor. Yeah. To get to Proctor. It's one of the strange, I I try to explain that to people. Like when they get all huffy about Hermantown hockey, like, Oh yeah, they take guys from from Proctor all the time. I'm like, well, yeah, if you knew where they lived in the Proctor school district, it's probably closer to go to Hermantown. Well, that doesn't matter. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, it does kind of matter. You know, (laughs) a, it's a really good school system and B uh, it's a great hockey program and it offers offers a lot to a kid who lives kind of in Saginaw, for example. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so you, you move in a little bit closer to the city, uh, in, in, closer to Duluth. Your dad's a, a professional salesman, right? Worked for Xerox? Uh, yeah, my dad's retired now, but he worked uh, worked for Xerox for over 30 years and uh, as a salesman there. and uh, He did a great job, and obviously enough to support our family. And so, Did you uh, have him as a coach growing up? I never asked you that. Uh, yes, he did coach me. Uh, he coached me all the way up until I got to the peewee level. And then uh, I kind of handed the reins off and uh, had uh, various coaches from there on out. Who coached you in the peewee and bantam level before you got to coach plant? Uh, Dave Huddle. Um, no yeah, way. Yeah. Really? Dave was, Dave was a head coach and Rick Holt was the assistant coach at the time. And, okay. Um, you know, Dave and Rick did a fantastic job and they coached that level for quite a while to be honest with you. So it, it uh, created some stability, I think, within the program and the system. Yeah, Dave's such a great guy. I get to go up, up there and visit practically every year, sometimes twice a year, to interview guys for play of the year and high school tournament stuff. And we always we have the same spot, same everything, and there's Dave every year. Has to turn the music down because he's always cranking the music up early in the morning. <laughs> and, and he loves seeing me. I love seeing him. And he's always got some good stories for me. Yeah, he does a great job at the rink, and it's been good having him there back to uh, kind of run the rink for Hermantown. It's been important, and I think you know it's it, what he's what he's done with that place, and since he's taken it over, is is continued to can make it better and and a welcoming place for people to come and and play and and um, get the get the kids on the ice. That's the biggest thing. So your youth career, you played hockey. You didn't have a choice to play hockey because you got all these, you know, uncles and dad played. It, it just became, it's a part of life in, in where you grew up, correct? Yeah, very much so. I think so. It, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, back in those days, there were seasons, right? So you could play different sports and uh, you can still do it now, just not as not as easily or as uh, readily available. But, uh, you know, I played baseball and football and soccer and golf and anything that I could possibly play growing up. But uh, hockey ended up being my, my first passion and my love for sure. I can only imagine what position you played in football. 
I'll let you guess. I'm, I'm not gonna offense or defense, or just play both. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play both. We're in a small school, so you got to play both. All right, so I'm going uh, like a wide receiver, slot back, and I'm going obviously cornerback. Uh, like you were the guy out on an island covering uh, their their best receiver. Uh, you're close. Yeah, you're definitely close. I'll let you research a little bit and maybe see if you can find oh, out. Oh, you're not going to answer that? You're going to like, <laughs> Come on. Or were you the quarter? You were the quarterback. You were the quarterback, weren't you? I'm, yeah, I may or may not have been the quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to put too much pressure on you, right? If I go, oh, yeah, you're a leader, natural born, and you're the quarterback. And then we go, no, I really sucked. I couldn't throw, you know? I didn't want to put pressure on you. Now you're telling me you're the quarterback, but you didn't want to actually tell me you're the quarterback. I'll let you, like I said, I'll let you figure that one out. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yep. yep uh, all right, a little mystery homework for our listeners today. Um, so you were a good hockey player growing up. So good, you played up. Explain to me how that happens where you were playing up a year, every year in the Hermantown system. Um, well, my dad my dad was very involved, not only as a coach for, for me, but he was uh, the head of player development for Hermantown, kind of got that whole system going as far as development and, and a plan and, you know, kind of making sure that the coaches were trained up to what they needed. Um, and so as going up through the system, um, I got to the point where you know, I was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity to kind of start playing up a level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I played with a grade. I basically moved up with um, the group of guys that were an age above me, really, right. is what it was. So um, in peewees and, and bantams and uh, I believe squirts as well, too. So, um, yeah, so it's it's just the way it happened to work out, I think, where, you know, I was you know, given the opportunity to play and move up and, and I uh, had a great time. And, you know, those are still some of my best friends to this day. So the reason I even brought this topic up, because it kind of leads into a Hermantown discussion of staying down. So you sure. get to ninth grade, you're not eligible, you're still Bantam eligible, and you've played up with these guys before that are moving on as 10th graders. And you're like, now Bruce Plant or somebody in, in the hockey program comes to you or comes to your dad and tells you, you got to stay back and play Bantams for that third year of Bantams. What was that like? Uh, yep, that was Bruce for sure. Um, it was uh, it was heartbreaking at the time because I, what ended up happening is I had already played two years of Bantams and I still had eligibility as a freshman to play Bantams one more time. And, um, you know, he basically had that conversation with my dad and, and myself and basically just said, you know, I'm, I'd like you to stay down one more year and, and play a third year of Bantams for development. And. Uh, play with the kids that you're uh, that are your age uh, you know in another year and i think it'll benefit you in the future and so at the time it was heartbreaking because you know just to it's almost like trying out for a team and not making it right and, yeah um and so that's kind of how i felt and how i took it but you know i took it as a positive after every the dust settled and uh really had a, a great year with uh you know my friends and and the kids that i grew up with and and we had a fairly successful year i don't think we made it to state that year but um you know it it definitely brought our group together and and later on helped us down the road i think for me it was looking back on it now probably the best hockey move that could have happened um one because i finally uh was put in a leadership role kind of position kind of pseudo but had to learn kind of how to do that at, at a younger age and how to um you know kind of have a good year and, and, and handle that. And so I was, um, you know, I think for my development hockey wise and 
personally, I think that was probably the best hockey move. Um, you know, one of the best hockey moves that I've made that, you know, I didn't get that decision, but I think uh, Bruce has a lot to do with that. Um, it's funny because we, I remember talking to Bruce a few years back about that specific day when he told you or told Rick and had that. And, and he was walking through the story and so funny. So that was probably 1994. Five-ish, probably 96-ish, right? <laughs> sure. So so this is 1996, and I'm talking to him in, like, 2012 or 13 or 14 or something like that. And you now it's just, like, you know, 18 years later, he's like, yep. And I would always just tell people, look, Johnny Francisco wasn't too good to play Bantams. Neither are you. You know, and he would always use you as this, like, this high water mark. Like, he played at UMD. He's played pro hockey. Like, hey, too bad. You're going to play Bantams or, or tough luck. You know, I'm not going to make you put you on our team as a ninth grader. And I think personally that this is, and professionally for that matter, I think this is as good a thing for Bantam players is to play ninth grade hockey and, 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 and grow as opposed to sitting on the third line or the fourth line or the JV. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I 100% agree with you on that. I think that uh, it's important for development, not only for the player, but the players around them, right? So you practice with, you know, players of higher caliber. It's only going to make you better as a, as a group and as a whole. And I think that um, you look back on, you know, players now that are still doing it and, you know, players that are coming back for their high school year of, you know, instead of going to play juniors and, and you see how it not only makes them better players and builds their confidence, but it also makes the people around them better and the players around them and their teams better and the league better as a whole. And yeah. um, I think for, you know, especially Bantam hockey in Minnesota, I think it's, um, you know, it fits that bill still, you know, whereas if you go other places in the country, like I lived out in California and stuff, and it's tough to find that competition. So sometimes it is necessary to move up. So it's, um, it kind of all depends where you're at and where you are. But for my situation, personally, I was, um, you know, I think it was a good situation to stay down. All right. So you walk through your high school career, um, 98, you make it to the state tournament before we get to how it, that finished. Uh, let's go through the, the state, uh, the section final. What are your memories of, of making it to state that year in 98? Uh, section final was really special. I and mean, we were in, uh, in the championship game. And, this is at the um, deck then, right? I believe actually it was at um, the new Cloquet rink. It was actually just built at oh, that okay. time. Cool. Yep. All and right. um, Pat Andrews, who's now obviously the head coach of Hermitown now, uh, him and I, he was a great above me. So we, like I said, we grew up together and um, he had, recently lost his his father that year and and you know just um he scored the game winning goal with no time left and little time left and it was an uh, exciting time and anybody that hasn't seen the pat andrews infamous video uh probably should because it's it's all emotion and, and that's who he is and the type of person he was and still is and he's a good person and it was just um, really exciting for him because we finally got to go to the state tournament as you know every kid that they wanted to and they dreamed to and he was a senior and i was a junior and, and that whole group and we had a lot of seniors i think we had 13 seniors at the time um you know, and it was it was an exciting time for us just to go back to to go to the state tournament because they hadn't been there since '94, and 
Uh, we went to 98 there and, and uh, made a good rundown at the state tournament too. So, so the Pat Andrews interview. I mean, if you ever, if you were a Disney movie producer, this is where you would. This is where you could find a great movie. I mean, here you get this kid, and, and he kind of uncork gets uncorked in this interview, and in, not in a bad way, in a good way. It was the sweetest thing, and he showed it to me. He put the DVD in. I was up in Hermantown. He put the DVD in and showed it to me, and I looked at him. I'm like, I had a lot of respect for Pat at this point. My respect level went up like ten times after I watched it. I'm like, you are the you you are the coolest guy ever. You know, like I thought it was just super neat. He had the big fluffy hair and. You know, and he was just going off about his mom and his dad. And it was just, it was a neat moment. Uh, I felt uh, that much closer to the people in Hermantown and, and what had happened as par- a part of that. And and then you go on and you almost win the state title. You finish second. You lose to Evelyn Gilbert, right? Yeah, we lost to Evelyn Gilbert there in the final. Had you played them during the regular season? Did you know enough about them? Uh, I believe so. You know me and my memory. Totally yeah, I know. Great. Um, you know, it's... Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming that we probably played them, yeah. And, um, you know, we had a, won the first game, uh, won an emotional second game against uh, Red Wing. Yep. Uh, they, were, they were touted as a top team in the state, and so we kind of came in and kind of upset them the night before. And uh, I think we just kind of, you know, maybe ran out of gas the next day. And But, uh, you know, it was, it was an exciting time to be down the state tournament when you look back on it. And, you know, that's every kid's dream is to that grows up in Minnesota is to go play at the state tournament and to be part of that whole uh, spectacle and, and uh, do well. And I think um, we did a really I, mean, I was really proud of our team at the time. Right. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool and pretty special time. And then in 99, you go back and tell the story about how, how that how your career ended, really. Um, <laughs> I joke with people. I say, uh, I say, you know, our, our, we made, we were fortunate enough to make it to the state tournament again that next year. And, um, we went down there and definitely laid an, laid an egg, but we, we lost to Benilde St. Margaret, um, in overtime, uh, the very first game, that was a night game. And then we played the next morning and then lost the next morning. And I kind of joke and say, we were, we were done before the double A even started that night. So, um, our, our state tournament was pretty short lived, but we were able to make it back down there again. That's so funny. And, and this yeah. is, I think, I think it was like 2006, not that you, uh, would know this, but like 2006 or six, I think it was 2006. They started to seed the tournament. Like, okay, this team would number number one, this team number two. And if I recall, uh, you guys were one, two in the state and Benil was one, two state to play in the first round that happened for years and years and years. You could get the number one and two team in state based on how the section alignment would go, who you would play. Right. Sure. So I think you were fell prey to this one versus two, uh, matchup in the first round. And that was a, I remember watching that game. It was a whale of a game. It was, it was, you know, they had, uh, they had Troy Riddle on the yeah. team at the time and, and obviously he's a great player and, you know, had a great college career as well too. And, and I think, uh, you know, it was, it was an exciting time, the old, uh, private school, you know, Bruce Plant conversation. So I think, yeah, um, probably started know, happening so. right about then, didn't it? That yeah, was probably the yeah. beginning, right? I would imagine it was sometime around then, probably, to be honest with you. We were but, doing a uh, podcast, and I think it was 98, 99, uh, just this week, this past Sunday, and Carl from our show, a guy from a Duluth guy, says, I think from 1999 to whatever, 2013, 2014, once when East Grand started winning and Hermantown winning again, like it was like 
12 or 13 out of 15 years it was a private school team won the class a it was like oh this is a bad thing and then and then bruce is then there like bringing his kerosene to the fire every year just making it worse right just just pouring gas on the whole private school thing so many great bruce stories you got any bruce memories you know one that stand out either as a coach when in the three years you were there uh growing up with them anything that just stands out i mean i have my own i could write my own bruce book and it's only 10 15 years of history with him right whereas you go back to the you know basically to the to the hospital with bruce right i mean your dad and and bruce are best buddies and you probably got a million stories about the guy yeah i'm sure my dad's actually got more to be honest with you because uh you know they spend a lot of time together they go hunting and fishing together and you know they're uh they'll go spend weeks at a time out in a field somewhere you know so it's uh uh, I I don't have anything specific. I, I I can tell you though that he's just um, he's a good person and he um, he cares a lot about his kids and and the kids that he coached and you know he put every ounce of effort and time and you know blood sweat and tears I think into it and and I think it showed his passion for the game and his love for it and you can really see I think the proof is is how when players leave Hermantown. Um, yep they're welcome back into the rink after, right? And people want to come and they'll come visit with the coaches after. And that says a lot about a program, how, you know, you don't just leave a program and then you're done, gone and done. And, and I think when you come back and you see all the ex players that come back and, you know, sit now, you know, with Pat in, in his office and the coaches there, you know, you see the, the Pionks and, and the Sandbergs and, you know, guys that have gone on to play, you know, all over the place, they still come back and have a lot of laughs and can sit and talk. And uh, I think it's a very influential time, you know, having high school kids and teaching them how to be good people. And I think that's a lot of what the culture is, you know, in Hermantown. So, so here's a, here's a takeaway. I sat in the office with Bruce for two days, uh, two different sessions. And during this time, this is like 2013 or 14. And during this time, um, uh, here was my takeaway. There were like, he, exactly what you just said. Drew LeBlanc out on the ice training, right, with some kid from Princeton. And then there was a couple kids, and I know Jared Thomas was one of them. They were out there kind of doing some training in the summer, R- kind of like they were on the ice before the high school guys got on the ice. So then I went and watched their practice and then came back, talked to Drew a little bit. This is like right after he won the Hobie. We were just, it was a, just a great session. But the takeaway I got from being there for two days was that Bruce is a combination of a big brother and a dad. You know what I mean? So there's the big brother Bruce, you know, like, you know, like the big brother, you know, the guy you go to the rink and you hang out with, like you look up to him, but you still kind of give him crap. And if you got one on him, you'll get, you'll, you'll be for sure. You'll, you'll take your shot at him if you can. There was a little bit of that. Right. And he would give you back like little brother. So he treated everyone like kind of like the little brother. Right. But then there's kind of this father teacher, you know, principal Bruce as well. And he's a perfect combination between a big brother and, and principal of the school or teacher, uh, hockey coach as well. And, and, and that's why people come back. Cause it's, there's, there's that little bit of a big brother. We give each other a hard time. I like you, I respect you, but there's also a, a really laid back environment and, and play hard kind of environment too. I would agree with you on that. I mean, he's, you know, he was a teacher in the, in the high school there. And, and so he kind of had a pulse on what the kids are going through every day. Right. I mean, you, you could joke around and, you know, I mean, he'd 
you know who's dating who or or whatever right if something's coming yes. up he could kind of you know he could rip on you a little bit for you and and uh you know everybody would kind of joke around and take it but when he was serious he was serious and and you know i think he had that great combination of, of understanding the kids and understanding his players um how to coach each one of them and i think that was uh you know that, that was a takeaway from him he was one of the better coaches that i definitely had uh throughout my whole career as well too so yeah, well, we could spend an entire podcast on Bruce. It's like which plant? I always joke, which plant is going to get him come on the podcast first? Is it Bruce or Derek or even Christy? You know, Christy would be probably a better interview than Bruce or Derek because she can just rattle off everything, right? She knows more about hockey than those two guys combined. Don't you, don't you agree? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. <laughs> she would be aghast to be, have on this show. Um, all right. So after high school, you played college hockey and you had the, I mean, talk about it. what a blessing. Talk about Bruce Plant being a great coach influence. Your next coach is Mike Cernich. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate. I mean, you just climbed the ladder here. The next one, Sandlin is, I mean, wow. What a, what a yeah. great group of coaches to, uh, to learn the game from. Yeah, I had uh, was fortunate enough to have Sturdy for a year uh, before he was uh, before he was done and replaced by Sandal in there, and you know learned a lot from both those guys uh, and their assistant coaches and the, the staff that was around there. I think it was a uh, transition, for, especially for the program. I think um, right. we had some failing years while I was there, and, and uh, ended up kind of turning it around just as I was leaving. And right, um, you know that's uh, the. You know, there were two different kind of styles, I think. What uh, were they? Between the two of them. Um, Surich was kind of the older school, old school type of way of doing things. And, and uh, Sandlin just kind of had a fresh way of doing things and, and brought in some more off-ice stuff and was, some new ways. Of, just yeah. back up. Was Surdy more like Bruce Plant or were are they all three completely different animals? Um, I guess... Surdy was kind of like a Bruce Plant. I guess they all have kind of their own way of doing it, to right. be honest with you. You know, Sandlin's got that same type of thing, too, where he knows what's going on and, and can still rip on you a little players bit. Players coach still, kind of thing, right? Yeah, players yeah. coach. Just, they all kind of understood their players, and they really, really knew who they were. And um, You know, I was very fortunate my first year to get some playing time coming out of high school there and, and get my get my licks and take my licks there and, and still be able to stay in the lineup and, and learn and grow and um, Sandlin came in and he had a lot on his plate and he had to kind of make some tough decisions and guys that were on scholarships, you know, didn't yeah. get asked to come back and, you know, he had to kind of bring in what he wanted to and what his vision was for the program. And so those are some tough decisions, especially, especially being a first year division one college coach. But I think uh, obviously the rest is history at this point now, obviously so many years later and seeing what he's done with that program, I think, um, you know, paint, you this, something, paint something this picture. Paint this picture for me. The guy just won a national championship at UND. Won a couple national championships as an assistant coach. He gets a job, probably a dream job as you can get it at UMD. I mean, this is not a bad job, no matter how you spin it, right? Right. Um, he gets his uh, a dream job or a very, very, very good job. Just imagine all the piss and vinegar. And excitement and gasoline was in his tank. Whatever what a word picture you want to describe, right? <laughs> you had him for year one. I can only imagine what that was like. Besides the scholarship taking away, did was his enthusiasm level higher then as you see it today or, or as high as ever? 
Um, I haven't been back really to see kind of what the program or how he interacts with the players now. But, but he lives. Imagine, but, but he lives in know, Hermantown, so you know him. I mean, his yeah. daughter Katie is kind of the same age as your kid, so it's, <laughs> it's not like it's you don't know who he is or what he's all yeah. about, right? No. And you've seen him twenty yeah. years ago to compare to today, right? What's it? Is any difference? Uh, he was still pretty much a cool, calm, collective guy. Really? That he is today. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely had a vision and it wasn't, um, you know, if people stepped out of line, he brought them back into line. Um, and I think that took a little bit of learning, but he's built that culture now. So everybody kind of knows where he stands with it all. Yep. Right. And, and at first it's, you know, coming in with a iron fist a little bit and just saying, this is the way we're going to do it. This is, you know, how we're going to do it. And this is what we're going to do to get there. And, I think over time, everybody has more of an understanding of what that is and what those expectations is. And, you know, at the time when we were there, the guys that were there, uh, we learned to fall in line with it and, and kind of play his way and, and work hard. And, you know, not to say that a certain shouldn't have that same thing, but it was just a, I think it was a fresh face and, and something. Yeah. More fresh than of, anything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you played uh, four years. Your third, your last year there was a good one, right? Oh, oh, two, oh, three. I mean, that's where you started to kind of see the the rise of of UMD hockey. Was that year? What was that year like compared to some of the first couple of years? Um, I think if you look at college hockey and how the recruiting was, right? So you know, Surge probably Surge had some recruits that were coming in for the next year, and uh, he still he Sandlin, you know. Um, took those players in, I think for the most part, I yeah. think maybe there was a couple that ended up switching or not coming, but uh, you know, you still got to kind of take what's coming in at that point and, and obliged to those commitments that he had. And so that was what he had. And by the time I was a senior, it was kind of his crew. crew or the kids. Yeah. The kids that he recruited. Right. You know, so there's like this Tim Stapleton that came in oh. and obviously an unbelievable player. And you know, he, he was, <laughs> I, I just saw he, an he interview was, with him. Wow. I see a funny yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely, definitely a beauty that's for sure but um and he's a he's a happy-go-lucky guy and unbelievable player and i think the um you know that was kind of sandalin's recruiting class right his first kind of recruiting class and we had a successful year there and um after i left they went to the frozen four the year after so i think the lovable loser john francisco right yeah i think he got rid of the dead weight and and finally (laughs) had a successful successful season so (laughs) I would argue uh, opposite. Your your numbers got better and better as the se- as your years went on. I think you could have probably used a year in the USHL, and you would have been a stud on that 0-4 team, right? I mean, in in hindsight, right? Yeah, you can always kind of guess and poke and prod and play the what if game, but um, you know, I don't think that it would have hurt me to go no. play a year of USHL and, and develop just kind of the same way I played Bantams for an extra year, right? right. So. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And you trust the people that are around you to know what the best path is for you. So you surround yourself with good people and, and, you know, Sandalin's a great person. And, um, you know, I don't, I'd be interesting to see what he would have thought back in the day, but you know, he wasn't in charge at that time. And so, um, but I think, yeah, the USHL is definitely a, a standard now way to go for a lot of players right? right so there's only a few that can only really truly jump. make that jump and yeah and then how impactful are they going to be right would you rather wait for a year and be impactful for four years or you know maybe be come in early and be impactful for three years and so those are kind of the things that weigh on coaches and if they need players or whatnot so it's those, kind of where those you're are going all the factors that go into it yeah and, and, and umd's changed so much like look at blake biani kid from your neighborhood right yep. he's mr hockey winner 
And they're still 50-50 whether he's going to end up going to UMD next year because they might not have room for him, right? Is that the craziest concept, right? It is. It's changed a lot, especially since I was there. And if he is going to UMD, I'm sorry, but I have no one said for sure if he's going or not. I don't think anybody really knows at this point because of the virus. I I think a lot of stuff gets hashed out, you know, as far as pro contracts and all those things that happen in in March, April, May, because kids leave school. You know, just there's a lot still unknown as far as who's coming in, who's not, right? Yeah, that's a trickle-down effect, right? And so once the seasons are over, uh, coaches are right back in. It's not like the coaches are really taking a break from any of that stuff, right? They're going back into it and saying, all right, who's coming back? Who's not coming back? Do we need to push and see what's happening here and have those concessions? And do we need to sign another kid or two or right. all that stuff? Yeah. It's always weird. Like, I, cause I follow obviously college recruiting as much as close as anybody here in Minnesota. And it's just the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, like June 3rd, like when you're like at the golf course, you're just, your hockey's in your brain. All of a sudden, John Smith, it's Minnesota or Minnesota Duluth. I'm like, wait, that's a really good player that was uncommitted, and now he's literally walking in to UMD or Minnesota or North Dakota. Like, it just happens. It's just the weird yeah. at the weirdest times, like you said. You just don't know. And usually John Smith committing to, to this power school is because, you know, Billy Jones just left to the NHL, you know, just signed his contract, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. we need to fill a spot, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, that's where the whole pro part of the business kind of trickles down a little bit. And there's no, obviously with hockey, it's not like football or like baseball where there's a clear path of making it. No. Right? You, you, there's so many different avenues and ways to do it. That's, uh, it becomes overwhelming for a lot of people and a lot of families. And like I said, you try to surround yourself with good people that know what they're talking about and trust in them and, and just kind of go from there. So, All right. Well, you made a good mention there of pro hockey, and you then, after you graduated or left the school, graduate, let leave school, you go to the U-Haul, which is a league that isn't even in existence anymore. It's closer to the ECHL, maybe the AHL on, on a good day. Um, what's it like uh, playing pro hockey versus college hockey? Um, well, pro hockey is definitely a lot different. You know, there's no one year commitment. You could be traded at any time and your performance is basically all that matters. Right. right. And so, um, that's where it really becomes a business for the, and for better or for worse. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a form hockey is a form of entertainment. Sports are a form of entertainment. doesn't matter what sport it is, whether it's baseball, football, soccer, hockey, you know, it's all uh, entertainment. So uh, people that are willing to pay their money to come watch you play. So you got to perform. And so that's organizations are, are putting together the best possible team that they can to perform and do well. And so um, I think I realized that how much of a business it was probably about my second year of playing pro. Um, Were you still in quad cities at that point? I was in the quad cities. Yeah. Down in Iowa there. And that's a good United team. Hockey. I mean, that's like, I've heard that's one of the, was one of the best teams, right? It was a great organization. Yep. It was good. They treated us great and they took care of us as players and you're not getting paid a lot, right? In the, in the ECHL and the United Hockey League, yeah. basically they, they pay you week. Your contract is actually weekly. Um, and <laughs> How you scary get is a, that? Yeah. You get a house or you get an apartment to live Imagine in. Imagine if you're a garbage man, you, it was week to week. I mean, <laughs> man, the garbage would get picked up really quick, wouldn't it? Right, right. Oh, yeah, for sure. You never know. That's uh, kind of how it works. But They would actually think... come up to your house and take it versus having you bring it down <laughs> to the curb, right? I mean... <laughs> that would be one way to do it, for sure. For sure. But, 
you know, it's like I said, it's a, it's a business. And so you got to perform and be ready to play and bring yourself, you know, be ready night in and night out. And you go from a college schedule, which is a 30 some game yeah. schedule, sometimes 40 to 70 to 80 games. Right. So you got to learn how to take care of your body differently and, and how to eat healthy and, and get enough sleep and rest and you're on road trips and you're not flying everywhere. It's not glamorous. You're sitting on a bus and you're trying to sleep on a bus because you got a three games and three nights and you play a Friday night and then Saturday night. And then you play a Sunday afternoon game because that's when people can make the games. Right. And so, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to play for as long as I, I was, I, I hadn't really growing up, didn't have much aspirations of playing after college. My goal was to make, you know, a college hockey team somewhere and this opportunity came up and I just kind of kept following it uh, wherever it brought me. And I was very fortunate enough to get picked up by teams um, every year. And so I played uh, in Iowa in the United Hockey League and then played out in the East Coast Hockey League for Pennsylvania there out in Reading, Pennsylvania, yep. and then played for them for three years and shut it down after some knee troubles, uh, dislocated kneecap stuff. And, this is uh, interesting. Re- so you shut it down in, you hadn't played in California yet? No, no. So I went out and played out East, uh, dislocated my kneecap up in the American League on my first shift, um, and then went back and rehabbed, tried to come back. All in all, I did uh, four surgeries and probably about two to two and a half years of rehab. And I was just finally said, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't live my life doing rehab the rest of my life and having surgeries. And so kind of shut it down. We moved back to Minnesota here, actually Hermantown where my wife and I are both from. And, um, you know, I worked, uh, in the real estate business there as a, a real estate appraiser and did some graphic design work for them. And then, um, got a call from my old coach who coached me out in Pennsylvania and asked me, um, and just basically said, he's getting hired by, he was, he was, we were in the Kings organization right. and basically just said that the Kings are moving him. Even out to, Redding was Kings. Yep. 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 And, and so he said, we're moving out to California, Ontario, California, which is about 45 minutes east of LA. Uh, and they're, he's like, they're building a brand new rink, a 10,000 square foot rink, hundred and $50 million and wondering if you wanted to come coach with me. And so I thought about it for a little bit and he called me two days later, three days later and just said, uh, scratch that. Uh, there's not enough money to pay you as a coach and asked me how my knee was and asked if I could play. So that's uh, what kind of brought us out to California then at that point. So you're just got a desk job. You're just a regular old guy for a year. <laughs> the knee is now a hundred percent. And then you log two really good years in the ECHL after quote retiring, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that word retiring from minors. Um, <laughs> right. Retiring in my world is never having to work again, right? So right. I, I I quit and um, got back into it. Had a kind of a re- rejuvenated, you know, aspect to the whole still playing thing, right? So kids were young, and uh, my daughter was two and a half, three at the time. My son was only eight months, and he was born in Minnesota. And so I made the decision with uh, with Bridget, my wife, and we went out to California and. I uh, got to make that run for a while for another two and a half years or so before I got it, uh, dislocated my kneecap again and, and I uh, finally shut it down, but I had already kind of had an exit strategy at that point. So what a different lifestyle living in Los Angeles, uh, playing, um, uh, pro hockey versus living in Minnesota or quad cities or <laughs> Reading, Pennsylvania. I mean, there's no snow, right? No. No, and and your and your league, you're playing up and down the West Coast, right? You're playing. You're not playing all over the country, right? You're playing fairly locally. 
Yeah, at the time they had a lot more teams out there, uh, which was considered the East Coast, even though it was on the West Coast. So you, right. You know, we had Bakersfield, which was only a couple yep. hours away. Um, there was um, Fresno was in the league for a little bit for about a half a year to a year or two, and then um, yeah, we do some traveling up and down, um, you know, to um, Canada and and Vegas had a team for crying out loud and. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was all that kind of fun stuff where it was all sunny and nice and you wore flip-flops to the rink and shorts. And I mean, heck out in California, you never have to check the weather. It's just, yeah, you know, shorts and flip-flops and yeah. a t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt. Short so. sleeve or long sleeve. I love yeah. that weather. Isn't it the best? Yeah. Like, all right, great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. All right. So you, uh, what, what ends up ending your career? Is it another injury probably? So it was the injury, but I had also kind of, got to the end of it where this was my seventh or eighth year playing in the minors and you know the kids were getting older and looking at trying to settle down somewhere instead of traveling all over the place it's, yeah it's you want to become an adult it. right pretty much because yeah. you're playing kind of a kid's game when you're doing this right yeah i was definitely the old man on the team there's you know i think i was one time i was the only guy with kids on the team um you know so i felt like kind of a mentor to some of these guys and I tell the young guys in the locker room, I'm living vicariously through you. So I need all the stories and everything else right. that's going on. But um, yeah, I had an exit strategy to get out. There was happened to be in the office of the team that I was playing for in Ontario. And one of the local firefighters uh, were, was in there trying to put together a charity game uh, before right. our game. And, you know, basically kind of joked and just said, Hey, you got any hockey players that want to be a firefighter? And I happened to be sitting in the office at the time. And I was like, well, what is it? Right. I was getting towards the end of everything and trying to settle down. And he told me all about it and kind of intrigued me. So I started meeting more people and, and going to the department and riding along. And that turned into some mentorship and, and getting me to take the classes that I needed to take and, and, you know, over a long period of time there, a couple of years. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get hired out there as a firefighter after a couple of years after I was done playing. Um, you told me yesterday, you know, the difference, you know, you leave hockey, right? And I was like, asked you, what's the difference between hockey and being a firefighter? And you said there's actually some similarities there. There's a lot of similarities. You know, there's the, I guess, being in the minors, you work a ton of different jobs. Every summer, you got to find a job, you know, over the summer, what you're going to do. And, and you know, I've, I've worked all those different kinds of jobs. And you, you do a little, you do a lot of evaluating of your life at the time. And, and for me, I was trying to find something that was the closest thing I could find to hockey in a locker room. And, and being in the fire department, that was the closest thing um, that I could find. You know, you still have a crew that you work with. They're kind of like a family and you travel with them or you stay in the house with them. And, uh, you know, you work out and you do, um, you, you go to work, you know, there's times when you can joke around and there's times that you got to right. put the work in and be serious about it. And, and it's, um, you know, it's a, like I said, it's, it's the closest thing I could find to a hockey locker room and it still kind of is. So. I, one more firefighter question. There's gotta be a lot of chores related to your job, <laughs> aren't there? I mean, literally think about it. It's like, it's not like, oh yeah, we just, we, we fight the fire and then the hoses lay there and then some grunt comes in there and cleans it up. No, you're the grunt too, who, who cleans everything up, brings everything back, <laughs> clean down the, the truck. You got to clean out everything, right? There's gotta be just tons and tons of cleaning involved in your job. 
Yeah, there's no equipment managers or athletic <laughs> right. trainers in the fire department. Or the uni right? guy, yeah. right? No yeah. one hangs your uni in the locker, right? No, nobody does that for you. That's That was definitely an adjustment, but it was, you know, it's it's all part of it. And that's all part of taking care of yourself and taking care of your crew. And and, and ultimately what you're doing is you're taking care of the people that you're, that you're out taking care of, right? And so right. the old adage is, is you take care of your equipment and it takes care of you, right? So that's kind of the belief that, that we kind of live by. And so we constantly testing things and training with things and and making sure everything's in top-notch form because if it's not and a chainsaw fails on you while you're out working you know then then what do you do so oh i could only imagine all the different saws and knives and things that you have to have ready to go right (laughs) sure sure oh man okay all right so being prepared not just as a firefighter but as a hockey player you got to be prepared right and you're doing a little bit of that now and your businesses we met uh almost two years ago at the brick uh in in a shopping mall of all places (laughs) and um i was taken aback by how much you knew about youth hockey and coaching in youth hockey and your interest in 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 getting involved in in the youth hockey business talk about getting involved at 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 this level with, with working with youth and college and junior players um, it all kind of started obviously with, with my own kid, um, yep. growing up in California, had to find out how, where, what to play type thing out there. Cause yep. it's, it's a completely different model everywhere else, but Minnesota, I yeah. would say, to be honest with you, it's all a triple a model. And, and it took me in all honesty, it took me a couple of years to really wrap my head around how it all worked. And, um, I just kept saying to Bridget, my wife, I'm just saying like, this is messed up. I don't understand you know, why people, I mean, for my son, he was eight years old at the time to play out there. Just the fee to play for the year was $4,000. Yep. And that right? didn't and include any I, travel, right? That didn't include any travel, any hotels, any of that kind of stuff. And this was just play, you know, a game on the weekend or two games on the weekend and a couple practices during the week. And so uh, it got me intrigued with really trying to find better ways to do things out, out West and, yep. You know, um, people would ask me a lot of stuff just because I had the background with it. So I would kind of help people out as it went. And uh, we ended up moving back here. Let me guess. You told everybody at the rig, yeah, I played pro. I was a pro. (laughs) No, the joke was actually some of the guys, uh, (laughs) the joke was some some of the in-laws of some of the players were asking them, you know, when we'll turn pro as we were playing. And we're like, well, you know, we do get paid while we play. We just don't make the big box. That's all. So, uh, right. But yeah, so I was in grad school in Virginia and I took a bunch of buddies down to uh, Richmond to watch an ECHL. I'm sure it was ECHL because the hockey was not very good and they we drank a lot of beer and there was a lot of fighting. But they just kept asking me question after question after question about the game like they'd never. It was like we were on a different planet or something, and I was their tour guide. I was like, okay, well, yeah, that's that's this guy. That's the goalie. Why does he wear pads? I'm like, because they shoot the puck 100 miles an hour. You know, like <laughs> these things you have to explain to foreigners, and you're in your, you're in the same country, but you were, might as well in California. You might as well have been in a different country when it came to hockey, right? <laughs> Very much so. And it's grown a ton since we were out there in, in the last 10 years. The growth in California, I think I read, was – the largest growth in youth hockey in the country, to be honest with you. And, and a lot of that has to do with the success of the Kings and the Ducks and the Sharks. I mean, they've been very successful franchises, which is great for the growth of the game. Yeah, it's, it's ex- excellent for the game. And I think a lot of it, too, was a lot of those players 
we're kind of hanging it up and being done and staying out there, right? Yeah, they don't so go back to Canada. Up, they don't go back yeah, to Minnesota. They, why would right, you, now, right? Why I mean, it's would beautiful. You? Exactly. If, you have, if you have plenty of money, <laughs> right? If you've made plenty of money, okay, let's see. I can go back and live in St. Paul, Minnesota, or I can live next to the Pacific Ocean, right? <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Yeah, my wife makes me think about it every now and then, too. Yes, I'm sure she nudges now. you. We could have <laughs> stayed there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, any other definitely. vast differences, uh, anything you learned about how great it is here out of the California model other than it costs a lot of money and it's not part of the culture? Yeah, well, I mean, looking forward, right, the, the Junior Kings programs and the Junior Ducks programs, and those are great, great programs. But those between their paying, what they have to do is they pay for ice. Ice is 350 bucks to 400 bucks an yep. hour out there, right? They pay for their coaches that are out there in order to get some decent coaching. Because there's, there's not, not there's not kids that, like you look at where where my son grew up. Well, there was like there was like a line out the door to coach the might team of guys <laughs> right. that all coached, all played high school hockey. You know what I mean? Right. Think about that compared to California. What what did you have yep. there? There was there wasn't a line, right? So you had to find no. someone to pay. No, exactly. I mean, when I wasn't coaching, uh, when I was coaching the little kids out there and, and I wasn't able to make it to practice because I was at work, I would have to send the practice plan to my other dad coaches or people that were helping me out coaching because they didn't, they didn't know what they were. Right. And so you just kind of hope that they do able to do it all right and are good with the kids. But, um, you know, the travel out there is, is huge. Um, for, for us to be able to play for one of those programs, it would have been probably about an hour drive both ways. Um, yeah, to get to duck, to get to ducks or kings, right? Yep. Yeah. To get so to this is why you played for programs. a different, or oh, I don't even know the name of the group you guys played for. What was the name of that one? Uh, there was a couple programs that we played in Ontario. In Ontario, there yeah. were a couple of rinks there, so we played with those kind of local programs. And you know, I was more concerned on the development part of it all than I was, uh, you know, the games and the wins and the losses and that whole thing. And so and the travel. Um, I mean, yeah, half yeah. hours way each way is way better than an hour each way, right? Right, and that's if traffic's good, right? You get an accident or something happens, then you're stuck in the car for two hours one way, and and you miss practice, uh, you know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it it becomes it gets really expensive by that time, and and the other aspect was is be closer to family. That's why we moved back, and then play multiple sports too. Right. You're right. able to still have the seasons here and, and play baseball and, and soccer. And, and, um, you know, I grew up in a smaller community for us was a big reason to come back just because our kids were able to kind of know the kids in their school and um, understand and grow up with them and have friends and play the same sports with them and, and kind of do that kind of thing and have a smaller feel, you know, a smaller town feel. It was just, it's not bad in California. It's just different. It was different than the way that we grew up. So. Right. It's, it's, I mean, you got the best of both worlds living in Hermantown. So you have, um, if you've never been to Hermantown, it's awesome. It's a great little small town. It's got a little small town feel to it. But you're literally 10 minutes from from the, from the West Duluth Mall, right? You're you're really close to to Duluth. And you're yep. literally two hour, two and a half hours to the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport if you want to get to anywhere in the world. 
Correct. So you have the best of everything. I think it's a great place to live. <laughs> Every time I go, I'm like, this isn't so bad, you know. And yeah. what a great hockey community. Talk about the the difference of the hockey community when you left in 19. What would it be technically 2003, but whatever. Fast forward 15, 20 years from when it was Hermantown. Oh, glad we're we're glad to make the state tournament. We finished second. Yay us to what they are now <laughs> in Class A hockey in Minnesota. They're the I hate to say this, but they are the bully of Class A hockey. They're the big. They're the big. They're St. Thomas now. Bruce Plant would kill me for saying that, but they are the big bad wolf of Class A hockey, and that didn't happen overnight. You saw it from from when it began '94. They make it to state to where they are today. It's it's two completely different programs. Uh, yes, I would completely agree with you on that one. You know, it's, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears kind of put in by everybody involved with it, right? And, and you know, the hockey world in, in Hermantown has changed a lot from, um, it's more of an expectation now uh, to, yep. to do well or to, to be successful. And, and that, you know, when I was growing up, people would say, where are you from? And I'd say from Hermantown, and they, they wouldn't know where I was from. This and is still the didn't best. Know where I was, this, right? Nobody, so, nobody yeah. knows where it is. I was on the phone with Joe Biondi 10 years ago talking about a tournament for Blake to play in or something. And he's, I'm like, um, and I had no idea where Hermantown was. I had no <laughs> clue. He's like, well, that's, you know, I, I know it was about the big pumpkin, and we moved it from Minneapolis to, uh, to, um, to Moorhead. And that's like four hours away, where Minneapolis is like we just said, it's like two hours away, and it's straight down 35. He's like, Tony, you're killing me here. You're killing me. <laughs> it's, it was at Bloomington. That's like two and a half hours from my front door. And I had no idea exactly where it was. I thought it was more like the Iron Range. That's how clueless I was. And now sure. I'm working it every day. Like you said, now it's like everybody knows Hermantown is basically West Duluth. And it's a great <laughs> little community, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good little community here. You know, it's a small, small school still, like I said, and, you know, our, our other sports are, you know, they don't live unless our kids play multiple sports. You know, there's just not enough kids in the school to, to sustain a, a I, I shouldn't say that there's enough kids to, to put a team together and stuff and, and, and do that. But it just, it helps just like any program, the more kids you get into it. Uh, the better they're going to be. And I think the uh, the community kind of rallies around, especially the hockey team, uh, for sure. Um, but they also, you know, the basketball programs and the softballs and baseballs and the football programs, those are all just as important around here, too. And I think right. the hockey community has changed a lot in respect of the size of it. Yep. Um, I would say, you know, when I was growing up, I wouldn't even say I was from Hermantown after a while because people didn't know, right? I said I was from Duluth. Duluth. They finally, yeah, they understood where I was from at that point, but close enough, that, right? Yeah, and close enough. And now people understand what Hermantown is. When I left, there was you know an outdoor rink and an indoor rink. And when I came back, there's four outdoor hockey rinks and a pleasure rink, and it gets zambonied, right? Yes, so it's beautiful. It's yeah, it's a great facility, and it's literally right next to school, so. Drop the kids off at school, leave the hockey bag at the rink for the day, and they just walk down once school's over, put their gear on, and go out and skate all day until you know seven, eight, eight o'clock at night, and then come home. So, and that's the way that I grew up playing hockey was outdoor, and I think that's where most of the development is is still even today. Yeah, even today, and I think it's not you know, I, I think that's why you look at Canada and stuff, and they have all their outdoor stuff. And when I was out in California, though people would ask me about more development and you know, everybody's answer out there was 
More ace, um, more training, more, more ice, one-on-ones, more, right? Yeah, more one-on-ones, and, and which is all good stuff to learn. But in all reality, the biggest thing I told them to do was get rollerblades. You know, let your kids go skate out in the driveway and get creative and play around and don't sit and watch them. Let them mess up and let them screw up and let them come up with their own stuff because that's where the creativity and the excitement comes from. And I think in Hermantown, we have that here where they just go out and play, you know, and they, they compete and they, they play games and you know, they mess up and there's not not anybody sitting over there saying, oh, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. They just learn by trial and error. And that's that's what I think is the most important way to, to learn. Um, before we jump into learning, I got to just, we talked about this yesterday and I think it's such a great testimony to the two-class system in hockey. Um, truly the new class, the two-class system came in 92, but after the tier two debacle 94 really took off and you saw it with your own eyes you i mean if anyone could be a testimony to why the two class system any any of these people that go oh it was way better when it was one class hermantown was never a blip on the map if they could get to the quarterfinals of section seven that would have been like a parade <laughs> in hermantown right <laughs> now they're yeah. now with class a hockey they're making it to the state tournament in 1994 and it's basically built the game of hockey, not just in Hermantown, but in other communities. Like, use, use Delano as an example. They would have never been in the state tournament. Orono as an example. Private schools as an example. I mean, literally, the game of hockey has mushroomed as a result of the two-class system. What is your take on that? Uh, I think it's been a great thing, to be honest with you. I think... Every kid that grows up playing hockey in Minnesota, what's the ultimate goal? Is to make it to the state tournament with your buddies. Right. And the people that you grew up with. And I think to give people that opportunity still is important, right? I mean, there's you take a look at the state tournament, how many people make it to it, and how many people are done playing hockey after their senior year, right? And that's those are the memories that they're going to take with 90%, them forever. 99%. Right. Right. And, and, and that's, that's the excitement and the joy of it. And it teaches life, life lessons that I think that are very important. And I think having the opportunity of the two class system to be able to have more people go down, have more towns go down and support their team and parents, you know, that have you know, spent countless hours as their kids have kind of gone through the whole thing to be able to watch their kids kind of reach their dreams, you know, as a kid growing up, I think those are, those are things you just can't replace, you know, and, and there's talk of, you know, the, the winner of a play, the winner of double a and all that kind of stuff. I've heard all that kind of thing. And, and that's great. And that's cool and whatnot. And I think yeah. maybe that there, maybe there's a time and place for it, but the, you know, the whole reason for it is, is for that experience of going down than than anything, to be honest, in my opinion. And I think I've um, been very fortunate uh, in my own life to be able to experience it and then watch it uh, grow into what it is. I mean, there's people that are living all over the country and all over the world that still tune into those state tournament games yeah. online. It's so. fascinating. I'll give you an, a personal anecdote. My son, who played in a section final, I'll never forget when they won their semifinal game, the, the th- two, three days between the semifinal on Saturday and the final on Wednesday or Thursday, was the elation, to say the least, that they had the yeah. chance to make it to the state tournament. Today, he's a sophomore in college. It, it, it comes up. Uh, weekly, monthly, where the fact that he was, well, yeah, I played in a section final, and then we did this, and I did that, and he made it to state in Bantams, and you know what I mean? Like, he's still, that's a marker. Even the section right. final, making the section final is a big marker for a lot of kids, you know? Yep. And yep. to well, have that, I mean, like we talked about, Hermantown, if you look at their record back before the two class, 
they they were lucky to get to the quarterfinals. Not right. not a section final, you know what I mean. So, it was uh, it's a big deal, and I think it's important to give more kids that opportunity and opens doors. I always talk to use Ben Hanowski as my example. I mean, where in the world would Ben Hanowski been had he not got a chance to blow up in the state tournament for Little Falls? Little Falls <laughs> isn't making the state tournament in Double A or the one class system, right? Well, yeah, I would agree with you. But I think um, there's an old adage that says, you know, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Yeah. You know, there's scouts that are out there everywhere, and that's their job is to find talent and find players. And some are later than others, and some, you know, are earlier than others. And you just kind of got to trust the system a little bit. And like I said, surround yourself with the people that, that know what they're doing and, and uh, you know, trust that process. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of the process, you help athletes uh, in the process. And, and I'm, I have a couple different testimonials here, but walk through what Francisco Hockey is and how we can get in touch with John Francisco to, to learn more about your services. Um, I do quite a few different aspects of the hockey right now, and my goal was to not be um, to try and find something a little bit different than kind of yep. what everybody else is doing. And so for me, um, I do video work with players mm-hmm. uh, anywhere from I've got I've had some Bantam players and I had a Pee Wee player at one point. Uh, it's mostly junior players at this point, high school and junior players. So when you uh, say video, video work, let's be specific on mom or dad or somebody takes video of each player's shift, right? They, yep, sh- they send yep. the video to you, chop, and you chop it up or whatever, and then you give feedback to the player for a fee, right? You're not doing this for free, right? Sure. Yeah. It's still part of a business. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's, as I was playing and as I was going through things, um, and I know some friends that do it now, I got a friend of mine that does for NHL clients. He does this and PJ, right? Yeah. Yep, PJ, PJ Atherton. Yep. Yep. Um, and basically what the understanding is, is, is we're all visual learners and we, we'd much rather understand, you know, you talk to somebody and you say, well, no, I did that. And you go back on the video and you're like, well, no, you didn't really do that. This is what you did. Right. Right. And, and so, um, learning from myself going through so much video and coaches just don't have enough time to do video for each individual player all the time. Now when right. you get to the NHL and whatnot, you have, you have video people in college, they have that as well too. And if you wanted something, you asked for it and they would do it. And um, But for me, it was, it's one of those things where I can kind of give that individual attention to people that want to know a little bit more or just wondering what's going on or, you know, maybe I'm not doing anything or not doing something right or I'm not getting an opportunity. And I'm not there to change a coach's. Right. Work, That's the, what the, the I would think system. there would be a big chasm between you and the coach because they're like oh yeah Yeah. my my video coach tells me this like "Eh, that's the last place that's the last piece of poop you want to step in right like no chance right that's the last thing i want to do too right i've been in i'm 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 a coach as well so i understand that part of it and i tell everybody i said i'm I'm not in this to change what your systems are or what your coach is doing or what your coach is telling you continue to do what you're doing do you have private lessons do that with them and you know how advisors or whatever you've got right it's it's me i'm adding just another kind of a tool to the toolbox type of thing and i I take the video um i voice over it i edit it and then you know i'll put video examples of nhl players of what i'm asking them to do or whatnot and then I'll, i'll send that in a private YouTube clip that only they can see and watch it on their phone or watch it on the computer or watch it with their parents or, you know, be able to hear what I'm saying and watch uh, their game. And, um, you know, it's uh, everybody I've had so far has been really happy with it. And I've been uh, very fortunate to have uh, good people and good clients so far. And, and um, I think you know, it would be more it's, like, it's pick, a, you know, finding out their habits. 
right? <laughs> There's an art to it. There definitely is. And it, a lot of it is their habits. And once you see a couple shifts or you see, you know, a, a period or two, you're able to understand kind of what their normal habits are and, and kind of change some things. And, you know, it's, it's not rocket science by any means, but it's also, you know, as a, as a player, you can only take so much negative too, right? As I was, right. as I was growing up, the video was getting big at the time and it was always the negative thing. This was bad. This was bad. This was bad. And so, you know, if I was to tell somebody 10 good things that they did and one bad thing, what do they dwell on? They dwell the on bad. bad things. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I, I try to enforce more of the good than I do the bad, but, uh, you know, it's, you did this really well. You did this really well. You did this really well. Let's try and work on this a little bit more instead of doing this big turn or this loop that you do, make it a tight turn or continue to face the puck or is this yeah. just a habit that you've done over and over and over. And they don't, they don't know it until they actually see it. And those, those are the kind of things that, you know, make it kind of exciting and, and, and they've had coach, some success over it. Use the wide turn as an You're coaching a team, like, you know, you and I both coach. The last thing I'm really focusing is on is number 13's wide turn. You know, I'm right. I'm worried about our power play and how we're going to be more efficient on the power play or how our, you know, how we're protecting our front of our net, or whatever. It's just certain details yeah. team wide, right? Where yep. you're going to focus on individual bad habits or habits that are good and bad, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, how to create some space for yourself to do to do something with there, how to find a seam or how to you know, to get the puck over the blue line so the rest of your line mates can continue with their speed and, instead of them having to slow down. Those are all just kind of little aspects right. with that. That, um, you know, I enjoy that that whole aspect of it. I just recently had a client that I've had for about a year and a half, um, just committed to a Division One school, and I was playing juniors in the NHL, and I was really proud and happy for him. It was almost like my own kid, you know, got a, got a uh, opportunity to go play Division One hockey. And, and that so was Tyler Watkins, right, or is there more than that? Uh, yeah, it was Tyler. Tyler Watkins. That's pretty cool. And what a great story he had, right? I mean, a great, a, he had a very similar path as you, right? You know, but yeah, he didn't have, but you know I mean? He played, he played up, he played in, in, in the state tournament, won state titles. Um, and now he's heading off to college, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's fun to watch a kid develop like Wadi and, and, you know, over the years he's, he's done it all. So I'm, I'm excited that he got that division one opportunity right at the le- 11th hour, you know, he's a 99. So this was his <laughs> le- last year of juniors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, having the conversations with him and his parents and stuff. And I just told him, I said, you just got to be patient with it right it's not gonna sometimes things happen really quick and sometimes things happen really slow and he was very patient and there was you know the ups and downs of 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 the junior lifestyle after playing you know high school and um you know i'm just really proud of his attitude and his effort and the fact that him and his family trusted me enough to just say hey like this you're doing the right things just stay with it and the opportunity to present itself and a couple opportunities presented themselves pretty quickly and he had to make a decision pretty quick and you know i was really really happy for him so couldn't happen to a nicer family that's for sure yeah yeah great family um, okay, so in addition to the video analysis for clients, you also um, put on contact camps. I'm, I'm fun. I'm, I'm anxious to see how this works because I get to work firsthand with you this summer whenever it happens at the UMM. <laughs> yeah, whenever we whenever we hit the ice at yeah. Mariucci, it's it, it'll happen, right? But yeah. uh, you know, at some point, uh, walk through what a contact camp looks like, not just from what 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 the kids are going to see at Mariucci. Uh, we'll do a little bit of that, but talk about how they uh, how it can get used for an association because i think that's the most interesting play here versus you just coming and being a a star at our camp 
Yeah, yeah. So I've got uh, four basically dummies that get pushed along the ice. Uh, and a peewee could push one, right? I mean, they're they're not so oh, yeah. heavy, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not tremendously heavy. They got some weight to them, but um, they're they're built in order for people to understand body contact. And it's not just for bantams, people going into bantams, and it's very valuable for people going into bantams or players going into bantams. But it's also very valuable for the women's side of hockey. I was just going to say that it's just as important for girls as it is for boys. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I think the girls do a great job at it because they understand angles right away and they learn this body contact stuff a lot sooner. And now, um, but I teach it all the way down to, to squirts. And the kids absolutely come out and they, you know, they hit these things. And, and the reason for it and the reason I'm doing it is just basically an understanding of um, how to take a hit or how to take the contact and how to, how to give some contact because you're still playing in a confined area. It's a 200 by 85 foot space you know and you're not going to get away from people there's always going to be body contact and if you learn the proper way to do it and proper way to teach it um it can be very fun and, and we make it a fun environment where failure is good thing uh you know we crank up the music in there and we have um i go into associations and i teach uh coaches how to teach it and they push the dummies and i also bring uh an ipad out on the ice so i can do video of these kids and pull them back in line again because we're all visual learners i can pull them in line pull them out of the show them. line there and just say right. yeah it's just say hey you did really good at this or you need to work on this or this is what you did wrong or do you understand why you fell and um, you know just making it in a learning environment which is fun and, and um, you know I've been able to kind of travel around the last year and, and teach this um, to the not only the, the coaches so it's a kind of a train the trainer so they can do yeah. this stuff after after I leave um, but also to the kids as well and you know, like I said, I've got uh, girls programs set up for this summer and, and, and in the fall and boys programs and traveling all the way out to California for a couple. And hopefully I'm trying to set a couple up in Denver and out in Montana as well. And, you know, these things are just great teaching tools because you're not actually hitting each other. You know, I grew up playing right. football and the only way you learned how to hit in football was you hit each other. Well, since and you were so, the quarterback, you probably yeah. didn't get hit as much in practice, <laughs> right? You know. the, yeah, I was lucky enough to wear the red jersey. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was the wuss of it all. But the, you uh, said it, not me. Not yeah, Mr. Know, Mr. California, Hollywood. You me right into it. You I know, right I'm into it. But, you know, I also teach concussion prevention with it, too, which is very important, I think, in yeah. any sport, and especially hockey right now. And so I teach kids how to put themselves in the right positions and not put themselves in the wrong positions and you know how the concussions happen and um and so there's other aspects that i'm going to add to my business here hopefully soon where um it's going to kind of emphasize that even more are you going to talk about the dummies can we talk about the dummies now or are we gonna have to wait for that okay we can okay all right so my understanding and you correct me if i'm wrong is the dummies that you're kind of built so far you're you're fine-tuning a bit and maybe developing your own dummy of sorts so so teams associations could buy them from you right yeah Yep. And that's kind of the goal is to be able to have these, these um, readily available because I can only travel so much. Right. Right. I feel like it's, it's an important aspect to the game that, you know, you can use these, whether it's for the girls programs or the boys programs all the way down to, you know, squirts, to be honest with you. Yeah. Squirts for sure. Amen to that. 
Yeah, and so there, it's you know, it, and I mean that seriously. I don't mean like, oh yeah, squirt should hit. <laughs> I mean, squirt should learn no. body, proper body contact, body usage. Right. That's what I mean by squirts. Right. And I'm, I'm not against USA Hockey going away from checking in peewees, but I think it, the contact at peewees was important because the size difference between kids at peewees yeah. is Massive. is a lot less than what it is now when they jump into contact when they hit bantams. bantams right, right. And bantams now, you got kids that are fully developed versus kids that still haven't hit that yeah, kind of puberty the, or that fully development and they're getting killed right and they're they're making changes to the game as well with the no open ice hits and whatnot yep. and um but i think that like i said contact isn't going anywhere it's still gonna be part of the game that's still there's a lot of contact in girls hockey and women's hockey and i think sometimes more game i think there might yeah i was just gonna say there might be more in women's hockey in a girls know? game or because the the because girls always play non-contact right uh, yes. girls, <laughs> quote unquote, women's non-contact is way more physical than boys peewee non-contact. It's not even close. <laughs> you watch a game, you'd be like, that's a check. That's a check. That's a check. That's a check. That, in right. boys peewees, it would be a check. If you watch a women's Olympic game, for example, or a U18 women's game, it's, it's, they're it's super physical. And I think that's the model I'd like to see all hockey get to where you're not just blowing a guy up just because you want to go blow the guy up. Right. 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 And, and think, the drills that I teach with these with these you know dummies are a lot of angling drills with puck aspect right so it's not just a go hit these things and then you're done it's a you're gonna make contact with this thing you're gonna grab a puck you're gonna make a pass you're gonna make a move you're gonna do this you're gonna do that and, and still shoot the puck and so it's game like atmosphere movements uh with the added safety of hitting a dummy rather than another player all right we gotta we've, we're an hour and 22 in today so i got a few more things i want to get before we wrap this thing up i want to talk sure. about the videos that you make um just spoiler alert you make videos for for francisco hockey and you you could be found on friend uh, on twitter as hockey iq correct on twitter yes yeah and then yes, on yeah. instagram what is it on Instagram, same. Uh, there's Francisco Hockey on there. It's kind of all okay. over the map with Francisco Hockey or Hockey IQ, and okay, uh, you know, FranciscoHockey.com and that kind of stuff. We have a relationship uh, where you actually, when you produce these videos on Hockey IQ, I, I said to you one day, I'm like, why don't you just put them on our website? We would love the contact, and you would love the ability to promote your business as hockey iq making these videos you put the little tab you know in the in the video and then you say you know you tag yourself as well um it's been great for us it's been great for you hopefully as well the what i like most about your videos is they're usually extremely positive you're not just completely throwing <laughs> some guy under the bus or whatever you know you're taking professional uh hockey videos that you know from a from a broadcast and you're putting circles in there you're making red boxes in there they're quite entertaining they're only about a minute long uh how did you get involved in that um i think just the fact of the history and where i've been kind of for so long is is kind of the teaching aspect there right you, like we talked about and touched about earlier in california there's a lot of people that don't understand or don't know hockey and you know there's just the simpler parts of it and i think the more and more i talk to people and and whatnot i think it's it's interesting to me to kind of pass along this knowledge right and i right. don't know everything i don't expect to know everything and i'm still learning on a daily basis but some of this stuff i'm able to watch a game and pick it up in you know five seconds when i'm watching it or 10 seconds or 30 seconds and so as i'm watching a game if i see something that i like and something that i think is useful to, to pass on that information i record it and uh you know just do some editing to it and then uh, throw it out there with with some education and i think um 
It's you know, not... I hope people like it. I don't know if people like it or if they don't like it half the time because social media is kind of a weird thing. It's right? fickle, know, isn't it? Yeah, you don't know if it's, it's you know people view it or if they just you know f- swim over they it. They have nothing or, better you know. to do, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch yeah. this, right? So there's been there's been times when I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing it or whatnot because I'm like, this is is this really worth my time doing it? But in the end, I think it's you know it's a, it's another thing for people to kind of well, we hope you don't stop. We hope you don't and... stop because it's fantastic <laughs> content for our site because it's different. You know, you get a lot of the same stuff on YHH Twitter feed, and to have yours come on there is definitely a nice you know, change up, change of pace for, for what our viewers are seeing all the time. Oh, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. You don't have to say that, by the way. I did have to say it. It was written <laughs> down. You must say this, even if you don't mean it, say it. Um, I do, I do. And this is another thing I, I do really mean. Um, I want to tell the story before we, we, we hang up and, and then we'll get to talk about France, how you can reach Francisco hockey for all these things. But uh, last summer you, I, cause we were friends and I said, after we got to know each other for a year, I said, Hey, why don't you come down to our U of M camp. We're always looking for speakers, right? You know, I have nutrition, I have lots of different things and you had such a built up such a vast stuff of stuff that I'd followed. I'm like, you'd be, you'd be really good to come down and talk. PJ, your buddy, PJ Atherton had come and spoke to our camp. We have these like 40 minute spots, right? Where you can come and talk. And, and I've given many of the talks in this 40 minute spot and I lose kids. And I think I'm a pretty darn good speaker at 16 to 18 minutes. And at that point, you're just hanging on for dear life to keep them occupied. I'm talking puppet shows. I'm doing whatever I can to, you know, keep them occupied. And and I'm bringing you in and I'm like, oh boy, let's see how long this guy can last. Cause it doesn't last very long. The attention span of seventh graders, right? Yes. It's yeah. not I mean, easy. You threw me to the wolves, that's for sure. And here you are. You got 40 kids or 80. I can't remember what size we threw at you. But you're 40 or 80. They all come in groups of 40. You had 40 or 80 kids, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to go down in flames today. You held the room the entire 40 with ease. You could have gone for another 20, and they would have still been listening. And I'm going to give away one of your tricks of the trade. you mind if I do it right now? <laughs> that's fine. Other than being quite entertaining and engaging – but you use candy, okay? And, and it was a dirty trick, and I'm going to use it myself someday. <laughs> so you're giving your little talk, and you're talking about hockey IQ or whatever, blah, 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 at this point, right? In my, in my week, right? I'm just kind of keeping an eye on you. And then you pull out a little piece of candy. You're like, well, who knows the answer to that? And they're like, by the, by the, by the eight-minute mark, every kid's raising his hands because you're throwing candy at him, you cheater. <laughs> Any thoughts on how you came up with the candy idea? Um, uh, you know what, from the fire department, uh, we had people that uh, yes. would, do, would do lessons and stuff in our class and, you know, they, they started out with the small candies and before you knew it, like everybody else who was doing these things was throwing out full candy bars and king size, you know, king size, <laughs> you know, candy bars and chocolates and whatnot. It keeps everybody, keeps everybody's attention, you know, makes that compete factor go up a little bit, but it, you know, you try and find, make ways for people to compete. That's what, uh, that's what sports are. And, and if you can, if you can find creative ways for people to stay engaged and, and compete, then you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I definitely stole that idea and I'll probably steal some more ideas. So. Oh, I love it. Here's a quick candy idea. My JV coach at Southwest would at the end, not every shootout, but the end of practice would have a shootout and occasionally, like probably once a week maybe, he would bring out the candy bar. And like, all right, whoever wins shootout gets this Snickers. You know, you're, you know, it's five o'clock. You've just been on the ice for two hours slaving. You're starving to death. And here this guy holds up a Snickers. And it looks like literally a steak dinner at this point, right? (laughs) 
So yeah. winning that one candy bar was the probably the greatest tasting Snicker bar I've ever eaten in my life. You know, <laughs> it's the same concept, right? You're just like, oh, it looks great. I want that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yep. So those kids are spending a lot of time at the rink uh, with your camp, and they do. You guys do a great job with it down there and keep them engaged and from one place to another. And you know, as the whole goal was to try not to find somebody sleeping in the with the lights off you know? yeah so, oh yeah, yeah for sure it was great you did a great job speaking this you did such a great job this year we're going to put you on the ice and you're going to do contact camps for both the first year peewees and the second year peewees it's going to be a blast i you know hopefully this thing loosens up sooner and we can get out there in june like we planned if not we'll do it in july or august or something like that yeah um, for sure in the meets and i'm excited really really excited to watch your business grow because you do a really nice job with kids and and, and i'm sure that the, you do a great job with the video stuff our videos but i'm talking about video analysis and all these things the contact app the video analysis and all these things how can someone get in touch with john francisco to uh to hire you for for contact or video or all the other stuff uh, you can just go to my website thanks for the plug there go to my website uh, franciscohockey.com it's f-r-a-n-c-i-s-c-o not S-I-S-C-O? Not S-I-S. It's very common. I uh, thought about taking out into another domain and just, just plugging that one up. So, so last, um, we'll just wrap it up on this story. Last summer, uh, both Victor Plant and A.J. Francisco, Hermantown kids, uh, who I both know their dads really well, and, and uh, they get their jerseys for the Great Plains team, and both were spelled wrong. <laughs> one was Piante and one was Francisco. You know, but you must give me a plug back. Did I not have New Jersey, new nameplates before the first game went on the next day? I have to admit, I was pretty impressed in the turnaround and how quickly you did. I had, I was so mad at myself and I didn't even, <laughs> I went and looked whatever, but long story short, K1, the people of great people in Cloquet got that thing shipped down. I got it over to a seamstress, got the thing sewn on there faster than you can do. I just was so embarrassed. <laughs> I was so embarrassed and yeah, it was Hey, funny. we all make mistakes just like, uh, just like this is our second recording, right? Just like our <laughs> second recording, we make mistakes and, uh, and yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I, I learned a lot about you. Even in, in the third go-round, you do the pre-show, and then you do show one and show two. Uh, it's been a blast. And any else thing you want to share before we wrap it up, up today, Johnny? No, I just want to thank you for having me on. I appreciate it and all the help that you've given me so far through all this stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a learning process for me, and it's kind of like like you said earlier, it's a side gig for me. And so um, I've enjoyed it, and I enjoy coaching and working with these kids and kind of just passing on the knowledge at this point and uh, take on any new knowledge that people are willing to give me as well too. So uh, thanks again, though, for having me on. Well, it's been great. It's fun to watch your business. And Grant, too bad about this COVID thing because I, I felt like it was really cresting, really, I mean, and, and I hope this won't slow you down. I know you're going to have a great career at uh, teaching and, and learning and giving giving back to the game. That that I'm 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 just got to say I'm really excited and looking forward to seeing how you do. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to it as well. Uh, we're going to say one last thank you, and that's to Lots of Matza for this pizza pot, a great uh, supporter of Youth Hockey Hub over the last 10 years. We appreciate the people at Bernatello's Pizza. If you're looking for a great frozen pizza, rated really high by the uh, pizza tester uh, over at Barstool Sports, 6.5. Half pound of cheese, half pound of cheese on every pizza. Thanks to Lots of Matza, and thanks to John Francisco on this podcast.